Good evening and welcome to Horror. I'm Lee. I'm Chris. I'm Adam. Hey. And we are here this evening for another one. I know I say it quite a lot, but again, another film that I can't believe we've done 140 episodes and haven't (laughs) actually covered it yet. But there you go. Uh, We are covering 1968's Rosemary's Baby uh, after it was mentioned by the Eerie Essex Girls uh, recently yeah. um and yeah quite rightly it should definitely have been something we should have covered before now so <laughs> better late than never here we are yep. here it is but before we get into that chris i know the answer because he just told me off air have you uh, yes horror related in, in i've been difference? i've been a very naughty boy <laughs> again <laughs> But um, I did remember something, though, that is actually, I think I can make something out of this. So when when I mentioned The Witch, I'm just going to mention it again, and I'm tempted to mention it a bit later on. Oh. But but um, Darnie, who's been on the show before, yes, as a guest, um, for Cabin in the Woods, I think it was, another fantastic film, um, he mentioned to me about um, when I post on Instagram with my picture of Black Phillip, saying who knows what it is Darnie did know what it was and he said he's excited for the Northman which then yes. I went and read up a little bit on it and you might have mentioned it to us Adam or Lee but yeah it looks amazing like such a like fantastic cast of quite eclectic people yeah. I think Bjork's in there um, which, so. which I can't remember I can't remember who it was who said it to me but someone did say casting Bjork as an Icelandic witch is that yeah. genius or yeah, really or... lazy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fair, fair point. I guess we will find out. Um, yeah. So, so I don't know when it's coming out, but funnily enough, um, Apple News decided to send me uh, an article about it today. And it says here, this is from Empire, going berserk, Robert Eggers' wild, mad, brutal Viking epic, The Northman, is the director's biggest, most ambitious film yet. And as Empire discovers, some of the blood, sweat and tears were for real. So I'm even more excited. Yes, I just looked it up on IMDb. That does definitely tick a lot of boxes for me. Yeah. Or if you've not seen the trailer, man, do check it out. Because, yeah, it looks pretty damn fucking fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, and so, also got An- Anya Taylor Joy, who was in The Witch, mm-hmm. quite yep. young in that, and I loved her in The Queen's Gambit as well, which was yes. about chess, but done fantastically well. So yeah, I think she's fantastic. I'm very excited. I think this is going to be great. Well, I think also it's because obviously he did the Lighthouse, and then yes, there was, yeah. I'm not sure if he's still meant to be doing it or not, but he then was meant to be doing a remake of Nosferatu. Mm. Um, yes, but this, yeah, uh, but this is obviously what he's done, uh, what Robert Eggers has done next, and yeah, it's proper straining at the bit to see this fucker. Yeah, yeah. Um, it just does look incredible. Oh yeah, spoilers and swearing. Oh yes, <laughs> there, there will be both of those things going on, uh, only for the main film though. Just to warn you all. Well done, Adam. Yeah, we can't we can't spoil uh, the Northman is just yet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, not not easily. <laughs> no. Uh, excellent. So, Adam, what have you been checking out recently? Uh, well, a couple of bits. Um, I 
I think it might have been something that Richard Daniels from the Ocateria of Albion had posted. Mm. Uh, but I watched on YouTube uh, a thing called the Norlis Tapes. And it's um, directed by Dan Curtis, who did some of Kolchak. I don't think he did the original, but I think he did the Night Strangler and maybe some of the episodes as well. Um he and did, uh, what was the series that he did? Um, not Dark sure. That... Yes, sorry. Yeah, yeah. He was like one of the main driving forces behind that. Um, he also, and uh, funnily enough, this was a film I was going to. Rec- I've got to recommend it certainly to you, Lee. I mean, to everyone, but I think you would like it. He did a film called Burnt Offerings uh, yes. with Ollie Reed, which is just a great haunted house film. It really, yeah, um, and uh, and also uh, trilogy of terror, which is again well worth checking out. Um, but um, the Norlis tapes, the best way I can describe it is once you've watched all of Kolchak, if you still want to watch some Kolchak, watch the Norlis tapes <laughs> because it's a uh, author who is writing a book debunking the occult. Um, but then sort of gets involved with a sort of ancient Egyptian undead artifact curse magic thing. Um, but it's got that same, it has that, and the reason it's called the Norlis Tapes is because it's just he um, dictates all his writing. Um, and it's so the whole thing has that similar feeling that Kolchak does of having the voiceover. Yeah. Um, I'm, I have to say, I think that literally this could be a Kolchak episode or something. You know, it's got exactly that feeling. Yeah. Um, by which I mean, it feels like you're watching a supernatural Columbo. Um, <laughs> and um, yes, the. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, definitely well worth a watch. And um, the uh, the other thing that I've watched, and obviously we've been discussing this as well, Lee, uh, is I well I rewatched Psychomania for the first time in a long time, and that film just I adore it. Um, I am not in any way, shape, or form implying that anyone should take that film seriously. Uh, because it's impossible to do so but as just a raucous bit of hour and a half's worth of entertainment of isn't that and the fuck (laughs) this you know it really really suits uh, suits that i've asked lee we're going to put it on the list chris so you will get to see psychomania Mm, um the um the plot of which is basically um I believe he's described on IMD. Ah, thank you, thank you. My scientific advisor is uh, coming with this. Uh, also, just for uh, just in case, I believe in America it is known as the Death Wheelers rather than uh, Psychomania, uh, but I think it's now they just know it as Psychomania. But here's the synopsis from IMDb. I'm inspired by you here, Chris, because I know you you sort of like to go. An amiable psychopathic leader of a violent teen motorbike gang is spurred by his mother a satan worshipping spiritual medium into committing suicide and returning to life as an undead (laughs) um and it's got that lovely sort of 
um, how can I put it? It's got that lovely thing of British teen sort of thug movies like A Clockwork Orange where mm. these teenagers are suspiciously the wrong end of 30. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, but also, you know, um, it's got, it's George Sanders' last film giving it full Sheer Khan as a very sinister butler. Mm. Uh, Beryl Reed is the mother. Um, Doc Cotton turns up at one point. Uh, Tim's mate from Sorry's in it. Uh, that that horrible little ginger bastard who's in um, Blood on Satan's Claws in it as well, who always plays oh yeah nasty, nasty little yeah nasty little shit. Um, and basically, yeah, it is quite it's quite something to be seen, and it does feature what I consider to be the most infectious guitar riff in the world. I remember working mm. it out once. And I was so pleased, unlike everyone around me who had to hear it for about three hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's um, it's definitely got to be seen to be believed from uh, from 1973. So it's got that sort of thing of, oh yeah, no one's noticed that the 60s are over yet. So every everything's still a bit hippie, but yeah, also and also the the thing that i think is the greatest touch of uh, touch of reality about the film has to be the fact that the motorbike thugs are all relentlessly middle class yeah so that which just feels mm. absolutely right in so much as it's always the best homes that produce the worst people um i mean going all the way up to our own dear queen but, um, <laughs> Ouch. you know and fortunately no sweaty noncery in um, Psychomania. So, you know, it's, it mm. still means a cut above our own dear royal family. But um, um, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's definitely on the list. Um, I I will be on it. I mean, you might be better off. I was thinking that you might be better off getting uh, Bobby and Adam on it because I think Adam <laughs> would love it. And I know it's one of Bobby's faves. Um, I am not a fan. So I'm happy to come and slag it off. I'll tell you what it feels like. You know, when a TV show makes like a sitcom TV show or whatever, makes a film and then tries to do mm. something outlandish. This felt like if Emmerdale would try to make a film, that was exactly what it looks and feels like to me. And I fucking hated it. But I will gladly watch it again and tell you blow for blow why I felt that way. To be good to have a bit of contrast. I've only seen it once. Um, yeah. Or oh, it I, might grow on you. Not a fan. As, as I as I say, this this the the entertainment of this film is not to actually uh, endpoint think that's that's actually pretty good. <laughs> um, it is much more of just an strange curiosity. But I get exactly what you mean about the like the TV. Uh, it does it does have that feel of oh we've got slightly more of a budget. Yeah. yeah. You know, everything's on film. But, but we're no that's... better at writing or yeah, acting no... or production. And you know or all anything. these people and you've seen them doing their normal, boring day-to-day -day slog, but yeah. suddenly we're going to transport them into this unreal world <laughs> that's just a, a complete lunacy. And that's that was kind of what I, I made of it at the time. It was a long time ago. I I will give it another go. Um, yeah, as as I say, I think for the sheer... 
the sheer mentalness of it is one of those things where you're like, uh, it's like, and again, it has like Robert Hardy's in it. There's some really sort of big names in there, but like Robert Hardy's in it. And I can't work out whether he's shit or brilliant. <laughs> I can't work out whether he's just playing an out of his depth police inspector so well, or he's phoning it in. I am, I still don't know. So, you know, it's sort of, yeah, it is quite the um, quite the extraordinary piece. Um, it looks pretty fucking great on Blu-ray, although. And here's here's the here's the tell of a, a, a truly uh, cheap and obscure film is that it still don't look that great on Blu-ray. <laughs> you know, it, it it's the best it's going to get. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, and as I say, the soundtrack is just fucking chef's kisses. Fucking great, um, and yeah, that's all the weather. That's uh, that's pretty much it. I did watch one other thing on. Well, I tried to watch one other thing on YouTube, but we'll come back to that because oh. that does have a bearing on our main feature. Excellent, cool. Um, so I, like you, tried to watch a film. Um, <laughs> I tried to watch Werewolves Within on Netflix. Oh, yes, yes. Um. No, it didn't work. It's it's a show. Do you know what? It's one of those things where I can't work out why it didn't work. The cast was fantastic. Mm. Um, it, yeah, it came out around the same time as Wolf of Snow Hollow, I believe. Mm. Um, yes, yeah, I think it did. And it has got a bit of a similar feeling in the dry comedy aspect. Um, but yeah, it just didn't reel me it might be one of those i just wasn't in the mood i watched it literally for about 50 minutes and then now, stopped what, to go and read a I was, book <laughs> i was gonna yeah. say we are seeing a bit of a pattern i think so it could be you're not in the mood for this for some of these because i'm sure you've said that a couple of times now yeah. that on paper it, everything is there and then just somehow sometimes i think of it though like it's um, what i would referred to as Stabbing Westward where there's the band Stabbing Westward and as a Nine Inch Nails fan you should like Stabbing Westward mm. but I don't and they just make me think I could be listening to fucking Nine Inch Nails while I'm listening to this <laughs> It did kind of had that element, it was that thing of it wasn't enough comedy and mm. it wasn't quite enough horror and it just couldn't hold my attention. The cast was fantastic, and it was the acting was really good in it, considering it's a mm. bit of a lower budget. It's one of those where almost everybody who turns up on screen, apart from the two main characters, almost everyone who turns up on screen, you go, oh, that's him from What We Do in the Shadows, and oh, that's mm. him from American Horror Story. Like, you know all the people, um, but they just don't seem to gel together. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it's just, yeah, I don't know what was missing from it. It's one of those things where it could be something as minor as the editing just didn't get the jokes to land properly and therefore it just felt flattish. Mm. Uh, but, yeah, I was hoping for more, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, it was worth a stab. So um, I would say that's a great segue. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But if you've got more to say, go ahead. Uh, well, I have. I did also want to say the uh, saying I nipped off to read a book. The other book I've been reading, which is definitely in the realm of horror, 
Adam, you suggested to me when we were covering Sherlock Holmes, mm. uh, Guy Adams, The Breath of God, which is Sherlock Holmes versus Alistair Crowley. Yes, yes. I'm only about two thirds of the way through, but it's really, really good. So anyone who likes your big extended universe stuff, um, they've got Holmes and Watson really well nailed down in it. And mm. it's in a supernatural setting. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah. And it's going really well. So I'm, I'm really getting nice. into it. Excellent. Uh, and the only other thing, which isn't something I watched, but that I did hear about today. So this is breaking news. I heard about two things, but one of them having done a, a five minutes of research, I think might be an April Fool's because we are recording this on the 1st of April. <laughs> um, someone did post that Netflix uh, for Halloween are going to be launching Freddy versus Jason 2, mm-hmm. um, which, which I was like, oh, yes, I'm totally up for that. But when I put it in IMDb, it says it's a 45-minute short from 2014 with the same cover. So either it's <laughs> happening and they've just grabbed a random cover from somewhere because it's Instagram, they need a picture, or it's an April Fool, in which case. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the other thing is an artist who I follow who does like gothic cartoon work uh, released today that he has been employed again by Disney because he's done some work for Disney to work on a stop motion animation of the haunted house. Haunted mansion. Oh. Sorry. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, so because obviously the Muppets did the haunted mansion Halloween mm. just gone. Uh, apparently, yeah, they're going to start work on a stop motion animation version. So if that is true and is not another April Fool, uh, I'll be very excited about that. But I didn't have time to research that as well. So that's just a bit of news for you. See, that's that sounds more likely. Mm. The April, the, the, the other was an April Fool where it's like, yeah, this will just get people excited for 10 minutes. And, and then they'll yeah, hate you for lying to them. Yeah. They, yeah. the other the other feels a bit just maybe a tad too obscure for I don't know yeah so it probably does have the ring of truth so yeah I thought genuinely I thought I thought this is how out of the loop Lee's got it's going to be I don't know if this is an April Fool but did uh, Will Smith slap Chris Rock <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that talking of women with terrible haircuts who instill violence. Let's go on and talk about Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> That's a, another segue. Uh, yeah, I, I have put in my notes at that point where he says, you didn't pay for that haircut, did you? I was waiting for <laughs> Will Smith to appear as the genie yeah. and slap him in the face. But luckily, he managed to get away with it. Um, so, yes, as promised, 1968, uh, Rosemary's Baby. Um Right at the top, we are going to say that we will not be discussing the director, as we've talked about that piece of shit quite enough mm. on our uh, Ninth Gate episode. So yeah. he shall... Episode 132. Yes. If you would like to yeah. hear what a scumbag he is. Um, but we are going to put that aside and let it drift from our minds and focus on this, spoiler alert, beautiful masterpiece of a movie. Mm. So... Oh, go on, Adam. I, I was just—I was just going to say, there's there there is a feeling in terms of like how someone maybe goes on beyond very horrible things in their past. Hmm. Is that Rosemary's Baby? You want to keep 
no one's that bothered about Jeepers Creepers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so I think, yeah. <laughs> I think that lets us know. So, Chris, had you seen this film before and what did you make of it this time? So I hadn't. I've heard Ooh. you mention it for years, probably before we even started doing the podcast. Yeah. You may have mentioned it. Um, yeah, so obviously I heard about it a lot. I, I, um, I'm trying to think. The, the best way I can sum it up is I like everything about it. Somehow I don't quite like it. And I think it's the ending. Like somehow I just didn't really like the actual story. And, I th- and this is where I was going to mention the witch again is that I really loved the witch in that you can take it as either. And obviously we debated a bit about what ending you might mm. prefer, mm. but the fact that you really can take it as either, I, I just so much prefer that. Whereas this, when they really are all witches, it just seemed a bit like, oh, and then, and then this is where, you know, we've argued over if a film is a bit funny, is it meant to be a spoof? And for me, this falls in the realm of then feeling like a spoof because it's like, well, you, they're not, like, are they, that's not really how witches would be, is it? All just standing around and then there's the devil baby and then there's a guy taking photos. It's like, that feels spoofish. See, and it I doesn't fit of, the whole rest of the film. I think that's the thing. I think what I like about this is that it does set it in the real world where they are real mm. people well, with real right. jobs and go so around in real that, life. But yeah, I like that all the way through. They follow. But then it's just when they're just sort of all milling around. It's like, what is that? Just how they just hang out in their room a I, bit. I, I don't know. It just then, felt really odd. I couldn't. See, I think, I think you're, I think, I think I'm with you, Lee. I think it's the, it's that real domesticness of everyone, like particularly the coven, that really sells it. But, but how sells the reality like, of it in a weird so, way. So I mean, it might be that we have to watch some more where they perhaps touch on this. But I just, I'm just trying to imagine that in the real world, and it's like it just breaks down for me. I just can't quite see how that would actually work. And when when you're trying to make it seem real then it feels like it needs to be something that I would believe. Now, it might just be I have no experience of people in you know that sort of lifestyle where that is how <laughs> they would all act together. That's that's possibly true. But yeah, like it's just that I start to question, well, if you're trying to make it seem very real, I feel like there's a few more details that you perhaps need to cover to convince me. It, that, the reason, it, it, as we were saying about it working, is because, I mean, if you take somebody who you know who has, who's, devoutly religious like they mm. just have a normal life the same as you and i but then they have this it's always in the back of their mind and they have a strong that, belief and yeah and, absolutely and right why that, this just felt like that that's they don't fine go to church, right. that that would be fine and it's when their... they start doing all the actions of manipulating like you don't tend to get religious people doing a lot of that and so it's that combination <laughs> of not no but not in a not in a uh, <laughs> yeah, i know yeah like not where they're all sort of scheming together and they got the doctors involved and it's like it's just getting a little bit too big conspiracy and it's like you couldn't easily keep that working i don't think like we're not where you've really got the devil appearing and doing things because thinking about it i mean i would i would argue that the greatest conspiracy is keeping everyone in line by promising them a better life later 
yeah exactly so, yeah I think, oh absolutely yeah yeah yeah, yeah but that's so, not that's not sort of that's not mundane actions that's sort of like no. some grand ethereal you know we'll say it and it's going to be there but we don't actually have to do anything about it right now whereas this you've got to do a lot of working together a lot of communicating sort of things and it's just like oh, that's just seems like quite a lot no it might be possible but it, it whereas i think if they hadn't had that sort of broad end scene where they're obviously feeding her and, and i suppose at the time i was sort of thinking why are they that bothered about her obviously the very end you realize that um they at least some of them they do perhaps in fact it's called roman um wants to bring her into the coven mm. and so it's like okay yeah that, that makes sense he wants to some of the others perhaps aren't so keen on her um but yeah it's almost like i'd like more details about all of them to kind of really uh be happy th- that that it's it sort of meshes properly but then I think even that probably sells the idea in so much as they're not all quite on board. Yeah, yeah. In that, the that, same that way. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the workplace. Everyone's got their own personalities. And, you know, you've got people who are disagreeing with others and you've got little cliques within the main group. Yeah. And that's, mm. that's how it felt to me. That was why it felt. I, I, that last scene, I've got to say, went on longer than I remember. And I had mm, forgotten okay. the pivotal moment where she, you can see her thinking of succumbing to it. Mm. And I'd yeah. forgotten that that happened. I obviously remember the what have you done to its eyes bit. Um, yeah. But I'd forgotten afterwards, yeah, how they do kind of talk around. Um, as you say, Roman sort of starts to convince her and, and against the wishes of some of the others, clearly wants to keep her in the Roman, who I've got to say, uh, I did have to check at one point. I was so convinced that that was bloody Roger Corman. I was like, how is it I not know what Roger you mean. fucking Corman? I know what you mean. The thing is, Roger Corman would have been much younger at that at the yeah. point that this was made. But, yeah, that's what mm. I thought. I was like, it looks like Roger Corman now. So I thought either he's aged very well over the last 60 years, he'd had a very rough beginning to his life and he's been on Easy Street <laughs> since, or... <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I'll sort of mention it now, now that you've brought up Roman, um, or Stephen. Uh, mm. uh, but... Um, there is a sequel to Rosemary's Baby, um, which is a TV movie called Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> right? It's a little bit um, likely, lads, but all right, I'll go with it. Very, very. <laughs> I, I, was, I was thinking that either or with Bruce Willis as the voice of Andrew. You know? <laughs> and is, is he ugly in the cradle, beautiful at the ba- table, or does he keep his father's eyes all the way through He's life? Got- He's got a. He's got at one point. He has got what can only be described as a monkey doll's hand, <laughs> right? I'll, I'll be honest. I tried monkey to watch bastard this. hands. <laughs> monkey bastard hands. I tried to watch it, and frankly, it was shit. Um, no, it was fucking awful um, mm. because it was like, oh, I, it was just such. A, it was. It was a. It was clearly a TV movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, and this is this is the weird bit. Um, so Ruth Golden returns as Minnie. She was so like uh, her new yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. She so was good. Yeah, yeah. Well, she, I mean, she got an Oscar for this mm. at Damn like right. at like seventy eight or something like that, and wow. she'd actually had a period of not acting. Mm. Um, and then yeah, suddenly it's like, 
oh, well, I might be doing something all right then if I've just won an Oscar in my 70s, you know. I, um, I did think that the acting and interactions and dialogue throughout was fantastic. Yeah. I tell you what, the, wor- mm. the worst thing is that Mia Farrow wasn't even fucking nominated. All right. That's terrible. She's she such is a phenomenal yeah. so fucking yeah. good. Yeah. That is and surprising. It, and it's weird because you get her role is often a role that you would not take to. If you see mm. what I mean, because you'd be like, I'll oh, get some backbone or do you know what I mean? In lesser hands, but you just are so with her. Yeah. And mm. Understanding of, you know, why she's in the predicament she's in, because literally every fucker is, is gaslighting <laughs> her and yeah. bullshitting her and everything else mm. like that. And it's like, and you do, you know, all the way through it, you're with her. You really do sort of, Mm, sort of yeah, go yeah, definitely. But, but the but this yeah so this sequel um roman's in it but he's played by ray milland or ray milland um who he's the man with the x-ray eyes he's in loads of like corman stuff um he is the man who peter cushion is telling the cat stories to in the uncanny oh mm. yeah 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 and to be honest when i was watching rosemary's baby I was like, that bloke is so like Ray Mill is so <laughs> Ray Milland. And then yeah, I found out the sequel. And I'm like, right, because get this. So you've got so like I said, so Ruth Gordon's in it, Ray Milland takes over as Roman, and it was like, right, that's fucking natural because essentially the guy who's playing him is Ray Milland anyway. Yeah. Um and um Patty Duke is in it as Rosemary. Um and get this. The grown-up Adrian or Andrew, depending on which parent is talking to him, is Stephen McHattie from fucking Pontypool. Oh, mm. really? Like, and, and it's really it's it's that weird thing of seeing someone young when you know them as yeah. like looking like they're made of stone and been weathered on a fucking Icelandic beach for forty <laughs> years. So seeing him young is really fucking weird. But he but despite all of these really talented, interesting people, the story's just sort of meh. Yeah. And it mm. just and it's it's weird because I think it relies too much on the one thing this doesn't have is it doesn't have um you, because you never see the baby. You never have to have the powers or anything that makes it cheap. Yeah, mm. I thought that was a fantastic call. Never seeing anything of the baby and literally just seeing the cot rocking. I thought that was a really good touch. Um, yeah, and that, again, and that's what I like. The, this whole film is subtly uncomfortable. Like, mm, it, yeah, there's nothing yeah, overt definitely. in it, but mm. all the way through, there's just a constant air of menace. I think. Yeah. I think it starts straight away from when they view that flat. Um, mm. And all of the shooting is from down low. It's all shot up at a high angle from yeah. like down by the skirting. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it just gives it a really strange outlook on everything that just yeah. kind of puts you at unease. And yeah, it's 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 very well done. I think the, the music was good as well, like the opening theme and at the end when it replays mm. again. You know, so yeah, all those touches definitely set the scene. Mm. Yeah, because the the music's by um, uh, Christoph Kameda, who done who did who did lots of um, Polanski's earlier films, 
Um, but he died the same year this came out. He was at a party. Uh, no, actually died the following year because basically he was at a party in December in 68 and um, he was like play fighting with someone mm. and fell over, like, fell over like a hill, <laughs> landed on his head, mm. went into a coma and never came out of it mm. and died like... Few, a few months later and um, again that's that's and much like we had with the exorcist and the omen um, Ro- uh, Rosemary's Baby sort of fulfills that demon children trilogy uh, of again apparently being a cursed film mm. and I mean obviously obviously you've got Manson the Manson mur- like Manson family murdering Sharon Tate and everything and you know, which obviously, yeah, that's definitely on the fucking unusual scale. Um, mm. But you also got like the, um, like I say, the composer died. And he was, I think he was like 35, 36. Gosh. So he was not particularly old. And yeah, he just sort of died in quite a weird circumstance. Although I did see someone, uh, part of the, basically one of the producers is obviously uh, William Castle. Yes, um, I spotted his and, cameo this time that I don't think yes. I picked up on last time I saw it. I definitely didn't because when he turned around, I was just fucking yay! Yeah, I, did. I was um, like, oh, it's him. Oh, it's William Castle. Shit, yeah, yeah. Because he he's uh, if you didn't spot him, Chris, he's the guy when she is in the phone booth, mm. and uh, he's the guy who she thinks is. Roman Doctor Oh, Sapsteen. Uh, yeah, and and then turns. I must admit, I did mix him up a couple of times. I was thinking, yeah, it was one of them. And then he turns around. This is a bloke with a cigar. Yeah, that's yeah. really powerful. The producer. But William Castle, who we met on, there's quite a lot of callbacks on this one. But uh, episode thirty-three, House on Hongmid Hill, mm. um, and he was the mad director of that, who would perform like he would. He had gimmicks and would shock seats to get people to scream in the middle of his films and stuff like that. He was a, <laughs> and he's, he was like talking about, Oh, it's a cursed film. It's like, yes, you would say that you absolute sh- like sideshow <laughs> barker of a, of a man that you are, because there is no way that any publicity is bad publicity. Mm. And yeah, we're going to set, cause he was saying he ended up hospitalized with kiss- kidney stones. And it's like, that is not the same. As <laughs> your pregnant wife being stabbed to death by a load of fucking mad hippies. Yeah. It's not on the same scale, William. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, mate. You know. But um, but yeah, he was originally he I think we actually mentioned it on when we when we covered the house on Haunted Hill, but he um mm. yeah, he he optioned like he bought he mortgaged his house to get the rights to the book mm. and basically he managed to sell it to the studio who were like quite sort of you know they the, the book was a massive hit uh, yeah. by uh, Ira Levin um, and so yeah he managed to get the option for the book and the studio were completely like oh yeah no, we'll definitely we'll definitely mm. invest in this and everything on the one condition that you don't fucking direct it <laughs> because I think William Castle, even, even though William Castle might have been in 
do you know what I mean? It's he wasn't given the chance of having a huge budget at any point. Yeah. But they were kind of mm. like, no, we've seen what you make, mm. you know, and we don't we want it to be something other than that. Yeah. Um, Apparently, because uh, I mean, to, to give you an idea, William Castle was of the opinion that they should show the baby, mm. and there should be some crappy, shoddy effects that takes you out of it, of like an animatronic but, baby with yeah, cat's eyes and hooves. You know? So I did, I did get that. I didn't like seeing the hands of the devil, which I, I would have seen mean, as yeah. the same. Like I think again, you could have left that out, and it was, but shown it in a slightly different way. I mean, when you see his face like his eyes a bit you know that's yeah okay perhaps but you don't know yeah it didn't feel like that sort of movie where you should really see anything yeah i th- well i think but, but then betrayed as possibly a dream type scenario yeah. isn't it so mm. it, it plays into that how yeah. much of it did she see and how much of it was what they dosed her with really mm. the, the I, I thought that was, was i was slightly shocked when her husband was like, oh, yeah, I, I don't want to miss any opportunity. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. I just, like, just I mean, went, went at you bro, all night. You, you, you start the, from the start of the film, Guy just gets more yeah. and more of a cunt yeah. as it goes on. He is just a piece mm. of shit, really is. But that's like one of those moments where you're like, fucking mm. what? And, yeah. and again, but then I think it's indicative of a time and indicative of attitudes mm. that she doesn't really call him on it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's but like, that's oh, why I, th- I thought it's right. Like, that's not, again. That's not know, an excuse. Like, like that's, that's no. not a way to explain this. No. <laughs> it's, it's not an excuse and it doesn't actually form a problem at that point, if you see mm. what I mean. It's, she's not as outraged as you would imagine she should uh, be it could be because of what they're doing to her by then I could exactly. understand the that it's... yeah she's already gone a bit the, the i mean the weirdest thing is during that sequence is just before the like again i mean obviously this is packed with um like famous lines and stuff like that, that it, you know yeah like quotable lines and stuff yeah but funnily um, enough Claire, we were watching it, and Claire just went just before Rosemary said it. Claire just went, "Is is this a dream or is this really happening?" And it's like, and which then Rosemary literally says, mm. or, or, or words to that effect, "This is not a dream. This is really happening." And it's like, yeah, but again, so am I, I might have missed it. Sorry for the listeners. I did just nip off to the toilet because, um, I yeah, I've got a bladder the size of a walnut. Uh, so the That's eyes, now. yeah, <laughs> never more than five meters away from a bathroom. Uh, so the eyes that you mentioned that you see, did you mention whose eyes they are, Adam? They are not whose eyes you think they are. Are they mm. not? No. Is that an because, urban myth. Well, let me let me let me uh, let me let me move to the part of my notes that I've titled "Tell the Truth and Shame the Devil." <laughs> um, <laughs> Despite claims that Anton LaVey, founder of the Church of Satan, was an advisor on the film and or that he actually plays the devil in the rape scene, 
this is absolutely untrue. <laughs> I'm not sure where these completely groundless stories about this relentless self-publicist may have started. <laughs> because, yeah, no, that is absolutely... I, I thought that for years. Because he told everyone he was a fucking technical advisor on it and played the devil... No! Yeah, fuck all to do with it, the fucking lying But Him and William Castle, in and their the own Warrens. ways... Yeah, it's like, they are... <laughs> you know, I mean, I would imagine that William Castle was absolutely fine with him saying that bullshit. Because mm. he was like... Because it was exactly what William Castle would do. So it was... Yeah. But no, that is not... It's like... I can't even remember the... the it's just... A, apparently, this was like the weird thing. Where was it? Um, yeah, the... the the devil is actually played by an actor called Clay Tanner, um, who apparently um, Mia Farrow said it was really weird because basically she spent two days with this bloke like writhing on top of her. And then afterwards he shook her firmly by the hand and said, it was a pleasure working with you. Yeah. (laughs) But um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of, no, I, I had to um, I had to check into that because I was like, oh yeah, no, it's LeVay, isn't it? And it's fucking not. He is a bloody liar. <laughs> I mean, I mean, not the only thing he's lied about, but no, you know, no. still, it was sort of like I just thought because that has become such a a given fact yeah. about the film. And it's like, no, it's not actually. I think someone because said it's been that, doing the rounds for so long. Yeah. The internet's been invented. You never bothered to check it because you're like, well, it definitely is because everybody knows that. Exactly. And it's, it's just, no, he is an absolute fucking liar. Because, and here's the weird thing is there's nothing in, they didn't need a technical advisor because Ira Levin, who wrote Rosemary's Baby, said, like, wrote the novel, said he of all the film adaptions because he's he's had other what was it um he also wrote the stepford wives boys from brazil and sliver uh sliver which are all which all got adapted into films and let's face it it does suggest that he's got a bit of a thing about a fucking conspiracy doesn't he (laughs) so um but he um he said it was like the best adaption of any of his books or anything like that but when you actually look into it there's barely anything changed from the book. Mm. Um, like even the dialogue is the same sequence of events, characters and stuff like that. Even down to the fact that when she goes back to see Dr. Hill mm. and he's grown a moustache, <laughs> that's, that's from the book. Mm. Wow. And it's like, but, and, and here's the best bit. William Castle said, I just think that it was Roman Polanski's first go at adapting the script. I just don't think he knew you could chuck stuff out, change bits and chop and chop. <laughs> I think he genuinely just thought, oh, you you stick to the book. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's why Ira Levy thinks it's a fucking great adaption is because they didn't change anything, which is always the bugbear that authors have. You know, it's like, well, I wish he hadn't dropped that character. Actually, that was the most meaningful scene you didn't put yeah. in. <laughs> You know, whereas whereas with this, it's literally he converted the book into a screenplay that you could work from to produce it as a film, you know, so. Um, I think the only, going back to the realism of this, I've made a note about it. I think the only thing that I found unrealistic is the fact that a struggling actor uh, and his stay-at-home wife have got that flat. I, I know mm. they make a comment about, I wish I could put the rent up, but unfortunately, we're not allowed. That flat is massive, right in the centre of New York. 
Like, I know. There's no way. And, and, like, and then he, gets, that, he gets like, our shirty after the party about them all, you know, talking around to going to see Dr. Hill. I'd be more pissed off about, do you see all them faggins on his wood floor? Mm, I was yeah. like, someone would get dragged out by their ear hole for that. You can't be doing that. It's a state. That is the that is the one moment where I did find Guy funny, where it was just like where he just went, "Well, this is when you move out." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've had um, parties like that. Do we yeah. tidy up or do we just stop paying the rent and? <laughs> piss off I, I did wonder if if he would be able to afford the rent of that place because he was in advertising. <laughs> yeah, which I, obviously, I, obviously, I, can pay a lot depending on who it is, and I, it, the mm. impression was that it was pretty good. But I, I had to look it up because apparently, um, yeah, it's uh, apparently it is meant to be that he's getting quite a few residuals off a good ad campaign yeah. and he's appearing in, I think they said like he's appearing in a soap or something like that. So he's got a reasonably regular income coming in. Yeah. Also, apparently when this was filmed, I mean, this is a fucking deep dive. Apparently, when this was filmed, um, there was, uh, I can't remember what it was called, but there was a, a legal requirement in New York. That's why the guy says he couldn't put the rent up. Mm-hmm. Is There was a legal requirement in New York that you couldn't put the rent up. I think it was something like 15 years or something like that. You couldn't change the rent on something um, from what the former occupant was paying. So... Tech, you know, so they said that what, what is it, Mrs. Gardenia, isn't it? Yeah, Mrs. Gardenia, yeah. Um, and someone pointed out, well, if she'd been in the apartment since she was young and she go, she drops at like 89, she might have been paying a fairly cheap rent, yeah. Mm. And yeah, it was so, I suppose, knows, yeah, that's to that. stop them kicking people out and doubling the rent for the uh, next yeah. person, I suppose, yeah, so, exactly, yeah. yeah, that's exactly why they did it. So yeah, at the, at the time that was like a, a thing in that was a thing in New York. But again, I mean, we're sort of I'm I'm jumping I'm jumping around with notes here, but I don't care. You know, we always do. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> but the exterior of the Bamford apartment building is actually uh, the extremely famous Dakota Apartments building in Manhattan's Upper West Side. Um, and it's had loads of famous residents, including Boris Karloff and John Lennon. Mm. Oh, yeah, that's right. And he was shot on the steps, wasn't he? He was shot basically where Terry's body is found right. towards the start of the film. That's basically, I think he's like, basically that's, yeah, he's shot at that entrance to the building. Um, yeah, where, that's where Mark Chapman shot him in 1980. Um, but here's an interesting thing. So there is a even a further sort of uh, Beatles and Rosemary's Baby connection. Um, in January of 1968, Mia Farrow accompanied her sister Prudence to India to the retreat of the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi. Um, and Prudence was there to study meditation. And then shortly afterwards, the Beatles turned up also to study meditation. Huh. And... While they were there, they began writing songs for the White Album, like the Beatles, but yeah, the, the White Album. Um, and the song Dear Prudence was written by John Lennon about Prudence Farrow. Ah. Um, but obviously the White Album 
then becomes a cornerstone of Charles Manson's half-baked Armageddon visions and race war predictions, um, which would purge the world, leaving it clear for Manson and his family to rule. Um, so the song Piggies is why Pig was written in Sharon Tate's blood on the door of her Polanski's home after the Manson's followers killed her and their unborn child. Another song on the album, Sexy Sadie, uh, Manson acolyte Susan Atkins felt was a direct message to her because Manson renamed her Sadie Mae Glutz just before the album came out. Uh, but the song Sexy Sadie was originally called Maharishi because it works the same, Sexy Sadie, Maharishi. Yeah. Oh. Um, and it was actually a song about their disillusionment with the yogi uh, having witnessed him being uh, far from spiritual and rather lecherous towards Mia Farrow. <laughs> so it's sort of yeah. There's a lot of links in there, and I'm gonna not laughing at being lecherous. Obviously, I was laughing. No, at no. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna put my weird hat on. I'll put it here as here's my weird. Mm. So Manson's family kills Polanski's wife and unborn child. Was this in retaliation for seeing Rosemary's baby on so much acid that he could perceive through time and space as one? and saw his idol gunned down outside the building in the film. Coinkydink? I think not. Because <laughs> time's a flat circle, man. I've, uh, heard, I've heard bigger nonsenses online, so I, I will allow that. <laughs> I've Thank heard you. conspiracy theories. That, that is not as daft as Flat Earth. I'm going to go ahead and say that. Well, yeah. Well, I, I take that as a compliment, sir. Um, <laughs> But um, but yeah, so there's a lot of um, there's a lot of sort of spooky shit surrounds it in that sort of sense. But yeah, there's but like I say, I mean, I mean the the see the thing is that's what I what I love most is the funny bits because I like the humanness of the cover. Mm. I don't tend to feel. It's like when you watch, I don't know, um, Devil Rides Out or something like that. Obviously, MacArthur is an extremely charismatic person, but the rest of them are just anyone in a hood. Yeah. Whereas I feel I know this coven quite well, and it is just a bunch of annoying old biddies <laughs> who happen to be trying to create the Antichrist. Yeah. But also... They are still a bunch of irritating old biddies. <laughs> and it's like, I love, I absolutely adore the bit where towards the end where Rosemary's like convalescing after they've told her that she lost the baby. Mm. And she wakes up and that woman jumps out of her fucking skin. Yeah. And you're like, you've just brought the Antichrist into the world. Yeah. yeah. But like, this frail woman just scared the shit out of you as you were doing your knitting, you daft old bat. Do you know what I mean? And, <laughs> I thought exactly the same thing. And the other thing that I loved this time that I, I don't, I didn't remember particularly, but was a great line. Uh, yeah. Is when Mia Farrow walks in and Roman says to her, what are you doing? You should be in bed. And she just says, you should be in Dubrovnik. I can't hear you. And just walks yeah. past it. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'll I, I tell you what. And again, like you said, I'd forgotten quite. How, I thought it was like, she basically comes in. What have you done to his eyes? Credits. Yeah. I'd forgotten quite how long. Also, quite how torturous the music is mm. at that point, because it's real. That is real it fingernails down the platform. All the way through, loop. doesn't it? 
it starts mm. off at the beginning as as a, like a lullaby type but, yeah and each yeah. time they play it, it gets slightly more distorted yeah you're right and by the end it's a horrible it's, it's a cacophony it's yeah. it's mm. suspiria but done in a way that doesn't annoy you though. <laughs> yeah. yes that's precisely it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah so but i think that yeah i mean apart from the you know, obvious racial stereotype of, of course, the Japanese guy's got a camera. Um, he hasn't put, he, but the film's hanging out of it, so it's all fucked. Oh, it's no good. Yeah. He's got no photos or anything. Funnily enough, that's one thing I have been watching is Filthy Rich and Cat Flap, and it did remind me of a bit of I have the negatives. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I'd forgotten about that. But the one thing that I absolutely fucking adore is Rosemary drops the knife. And then Minnie gets it out of the floor and has to just do where it's nicked the wood panelling. Yeah, yeah, I thought the it's same. Like, you can tell her annoyance at, look, we've done mm, them on the floor. Yeah. Exactly. But it's, again, it's that sort of same thing of it all being within the same mundane world in a way, where it's like the Antichrist is in the corner. We don't know if this woman's going to go nuts and try and kill it. We want to protect it. And it's like, look at the state of the fucking floor. <laughs> It's it's almost on a part. It's like it's like Mr. Jelly, no, Mr. Jolly in um, Mr. Jelly in uh, Psychoville, mm. where it's like the murderer's on the phone. He's using my telephone. I'm paying for that. Yeah, it's that same sort of mundane. Do you know what I mean? It's like yeah, okay, so we're, de- we're, we're dealing with the Antichrist, but who's going to pay for this floor? Yeah, you know. So I think yeah, I think that. I think the Covenant just so spectacularly true to life and just like an overbearing, like they're just overbearing older relatives, really. Mm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like having a succession of dotty aunts. It's to take it back, as you said, with The Devil Rides Out, obviously one of my favourite all-time films. But that is the thing with that, is the Covenant in that they're all very rich, powerful, influential people from all over the world. And it's like, yeah, but if you're a coven and you meet regularly, you've got to, A, have enough money, B, mm. you've, you've got to have the spare time and stuff. So it is likely to be when you're older and, you, you know, you're retired and you're <laughs> trying to find something to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. And nice to Exactly. <laughs> Um, yeah, and they all live close to each If you've got a coven from all over the world, how often can you meet up, regardless of how rich you are? Whereas, yeah, if you all kind of live in or around the same building and you all live in New York, it'd be very easy to to keep yeah. regular, you know, chanting hours and find yourself a piccolo player and God knows yeah. what else they do. That And again, that, again, to speak to the subtlety of this, this is what I love. You never before that last scene. You never see the cult. You never see anything they're up to. There's nothing overtly satanic going on. It's just that murmuring through the walls, and it's just mm. I really like Chris. Looks like he's going to say no. Well, well, I was thinking about you know the uh, the baby making scene. You sort of get a bit of a glimpse to some of their oh yeah activities at that point. But yeah, yes. no, the rest of it you don't. It's true. It, yeah. Look, it doesn't it doesn't take it to the extremes of the amount of old man cock that you get in rare yes. So <laughs> We must be thankful for small mercies. Or that you couldn't see their small mercies. I don't get to use them very much in that, I suppose. There is a... <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, talking but of Hulk Hancock, Jennifer uh, would like to be with us this evening, but unfortunately it's someone's birthday because, as I mentioned, I think off air, I will explain why I made that connection before. Yeah. I can see Adam's face. I was trying to work do. out if it was, if it was you or... Um, <laughs> because, uh, yeah, she's out this evening, but I, the first time I saw this film, although it's a classic, I'd never, it's one of those films I just never quite got round to, but when mm. Jennifer got a DVD player... This was the first DVD she bought was Rosemary's Baby and made me watch it. So I was mm. hoping she could join us this evening. Good honour. So the reason that that statement reminded me of it, um, we were talking about Christmas horror recently and I mentioned Rare Exports and she said, mm. is that the one with loads of old man cock in it? And I was like, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's the film. Yeah, yeah. It just made me laugh that that was how she remembered it. So, yeah, that's... <laughs> It's, it's, it's an unusual, yeah. Honest. You don't get that in many other films. <laughs> it definitely sets it aside. Confusing. It yeah. narrows it down. <laughs> he were in I'm that not... film, you know, Christmas film. Lots of old Bangkok. Oh, yes. Right. <laughs> I have to say that throughout, I was distracted by something positively, and especially once I realised what it was. Um, I haven't seen Mia Farrow in anything else. I had heard the name, but not you know significantly um and then i realized that she was the voice from the last unicorn of the unicorn and i don't know if you may not have seen it but that was one of my favorite cartoons it's on the shelf on vhs i've never seen yes. it it's, okay. but, uh, it's like it's quite a haunting um dramatic adventure cartoon mm. and yeah it worked for me fantastically and and she the voice her voice was so uh, like you felt so much for her and like throughout the last unicorn and in this it was like sort of ringing that bell of she seems I think as you mentioned earlier Adam like sort of helplessness about her um, mm. but still also some uh, sort of some undercurrent of determination somehow yeah, you, you, you don't you don't I, I, it's you don't feel at any point that it's like you don't feel she's a pushover mm. at any point, or you don't feel that, you know, she is in... But she doesn't seem weak, but no. she does seem like things are up against, you know... She, oh. she, does, she doesn't seem weak, despite the fact she is probably about six stone yeah. soaking wet. Because mm. yeah. uh, that was one bit that made me laugh. She was in the shower, and the shower head's right there. And I'm like, how is Guy getting showered? <laughs> he must be... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because the only other person who could get under it is Minnie. Mm. <laughs> um, but, you know, but I mean, I mean, to give you an idea, I mean, and the unfortunate thing is, is we thought, well, we dealt with Polanski and his um, uh, crimes uh, on that one. So we'll be fine this. And then it was like, oh, yeah, Mia Farrow. Yeah, she was with Woody Allen for years. And it's sort of like, oh, for fuck's sake. Oh, was that so, but she's all right, though. She she's absolutely fine. Yeah. But, she, but I mean, to, but to give you to give you an idea, I mean, uh, and again, in terms of like sort of maybe channeling stuff to produce such an amazing performance, mm. she was married to Frank Sinatra when she did this. Mm. Um, and I mean, she... <laughs> I mean, and again, just to give again the world in which it is. When they first met, she was nineteen and he was forty-eight. 
So, you know, but I know from yikes. I mean, but uh, I mean, I was I was slightly perturbed when Claire didn't remember the Super Fresco advert. (laughs) You know, Super Fresco goes up easy. It's by Graham and Brown. Yeah. Uh, You know, that that threw me. So fuck knows what I mean, what could they talk about? The mafia? You know, regrets that he's had a few of them. You know what? So I don't know what I don't know what their fucking relation. But anyway, um, she so she went to do Rosemary's Baby, and they started falling behind schedule. And she was meant to be doing a film with Frank Sinatra, and he basically issued her the ultimatum of, well, it's Rosemary's Baby or me. Mm-hmm. And she chose Rosemary's Baby because she was like, I'm a professional. I can't walk off a film. Now it's. You know, we're in production. I can't do that. So she actually got served with her divorce papers on set mm. from, uh, I mean, like, like it's a big, well, a big reveal. Frank Sinatra turns out to be a fucking piece of shit. But, you know, <laughs> you know it's sort of, um, yeah. So, but then afterwards, she was married to uh, Andre Previn, aka Mr. Preview, uh, who's playing all the right notes but not necessarily in the right order <laughs> um and they had they had three kids adopted three more kids and then um they divorced in 79 and then she was with woody allen from 1980 to 92 um but their split was because woody allen started going out with what started having a relationship with one of her adopted kids and, oh, and i mean no, no wait wait does does mia Pick them badly, or was just all the men of that era pretty th- bad? To, to, to be honest, the, from what what from what I'm gathering from watching Rosemary's Baby, considering behind the scenes as well as in, on, on the screen in front of the camera, I, th- I think that I think that mankind should just be grateful that we weren't wiped off the face of the fucking earth because <sighs> Jesus Christ, everyone's a fucking tool. I mean, mm-hmm. in fairness, Andre Previn seems absolutely fine, but then he yeah. appeared on Morecambe and Wise. Woody Allen would have thought it was beneath him, and it was like, mm-hmm. yeah, but paedophilia was beneath them, wasn't it? So, <laughs> you know, you've got swings and roundabouts, Woody. You can't. So, um, uh, but also, um, but yeah, so, but she's got like, um, and then she adopted five more kids. So she's got, she's, she's had, mm-hmm. um, she's like loads of like actual biological children as well as, uh, adopted children um and actually one of one of her children is i mean there you go finally it's like working towards re- uh, sort of redressing of balances and checks or whatever like that one of her children um i believe is the lawyer who exposed harvey weinstein mm. wow like so you know it's sort of it's considering how me too um rosemary baby feels mm-hmm. um you know i think that's quite an interesting sort of uh turnaround there but i mean she was in she was in like 13 of woody allen's uh, woody allen's films um but then i don't think she's done she hasn't done that much since and then i think it all got into so she got into sort of battles with woody allen because Obviously, he, she was like, well, you met her as a child, what are you playing at? And But then other adopted children of hers have said that she's an abusive parent in, ter- like, in terms of like sort of not looking after the children or whatever like that, or a neglectful parent or whatever. 
And it all just seems to have turned into like this whole acrimonious mess, unfortunately. Mm. But that seems to be, I think, to be honest, I don't think she's done a lot. Strangely enough, she was in the remake of The Omen playing uh, the Billy Whitelaw character, Mrs. Blaylock. So oh. she plays the demon the demon nanny in The Omen uh, nice. like remake. And she's in, she was in Supergirl and Be Kind Rewind and sort of bits and pieces and stuff like that. But yeah, um, but mostly, yeah, most of her sort of bigger films were with um, with Woody Allen. She was in like, most of his hits. That's why, because I felt that watching this, I was like, she gives such a solid performance. Why mm. have I not seen more of her films? But there you go. If they're Woody, Woody Allen, they're not my sense of humour. So I wouldn't well, have seen the, any of them, really. So to, to be honest, I think, and I'm going to, uh, a lot of people probably, uh, a lot of people listening to this are probably going to be quite sort of, uh, but, you know, it's from the period where Woody Allen was like, oh, just fuck off. <laughs> you know, it's like, mm. okay. Oh, with Woody Allen, is that? I didn't know that. Sorry, yeah. Um, yeah, Claire was just telling me that she watched, um, I didn't realize it was Woody Allen, but she'd watched an interview with, uh, it was her and uh, it was him and Twiggy on a TV show back in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And Woody Allen's trying to be smart and sort of going, well, what's your favorite philosopher then? She's like, don't really know much about philosophers or anything like that. Who's your favourite? <laughs> and yeah, just left him fucking sitting there. The, yeah, all the main ones. All the main ones. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's sort of. Um, but yeah, no, I think yeah, Woody Allen's. Um, that it's from it's from the bit where all the film critics liked it, and yeah, just oh piss off. Yeah, you know, it's not entertainment. Um, and then. Uh, guy is uh, John Cassavetes, who and John Cassavetes was like a big director in his own right, as well as an actor. Hmm. And he was he's considered like the godfather of American independent cinema because basically what he did was he acted, made his money, and then invested it back in films. No, um, I and didn't realize yeah, that he was going did. on for that long. I don't, yeah, yeah, we've yeah. got our people who have done that recently who we're big fans of but yeah like mm. elijah wood etc but yeah i didn't mm. realize people have been doing it for quite that yeah because he, he was the main character in a uh like a, a tv show called johnny staccato um which was like a detective show uh, i've never seen it but i've got the soundtrack and it's fucking brilliant but <laughs> um but yeah and i think he sort of uh and then he yeah he did like um killing of chinese bookie husbands opening night um, Woman Under the Influence, Big Trouble, uh, but he's also in The Dirty Dozen, The Fury, um, The Killers, a film called Incubus, which intrigued me slightly, Two Minutes Warning. But yeah, he so he was sort of like, but he didn't get on with Roman Polanski because he was a much more sort of, he preferred to do, he was a very sort of much like independent cinema Oh, excuse me, still to this day, he was quite sort of um, improvisational and freewheeling. So he would be like, sort of, well, what if we do this or whatever like that? And Blaski was like, no, I've got, this is the way the shot looks. This is what you've got to do. You walk here to there and do it, you know? And I think they really clashed over that. Yeah. But, you know, in fairness to, in fairness to Cassavetes, I mean, fuck me, the film 
you know, it, it's it's genuinely a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. You know, it's it's so sort of well put together. The other thing as well, I don't it's weird. It feels like it's a two-hour film, mm. but not in the way that you usually mean that sentence. Yeah, right. I, I did I was thinking that as it was going through, it felt like it was long enough, but I didn't get bored. Yeah. At any yeah. point. It's weird because there's there's so much sort of it's weird because there is despite there is a lot of incident in it, whereas but a lot of very long scenes or sequences yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Mm. And it's sort of yeah, it's a like very... it, it goes for the details. It doesn't rush through mm. anything. Uh, and I again, suppose I that think... is that making that real the sort yeah. of sense that it's happening. Yeah, and I think that I think that goes back to that probably goes back to um, like Polanski just literally translating the book to the screen. Mm. Yeah, um, yeah, that's interesting. But, um, oh, and also, so there were other people uh, up for uh, various roles in it. Under the section marked, Satan wants me, not you. Um, <laughs> so the, up for the part of Rosemary were Tuesday World, Jane Fonda, who passed to make Barbarella, Sharon Tate, which Polanski ruled out because he just thought, well, it's nepotism, I don't want to do that, which actually, <laughs> yeah. well, I'm not saying that that is in any way a rehabilitation, but just on that. <laughs> um, Patty Duke, who, like I said, was eventually in Look What Happened to Rosemary's Baby and Julie Christie. Um, and for Guy, um, both William Castle and Polanski wanted Robert Redford, but apparently he was in some legal dispute with the studio over something else. Mm. So he turned it down. Um, James Fox, Warren Beatty. And this is my particular favourite, Jack Nicholson. And mm. Polanski, Polanski is quoted as saying, for all his talent, his slightly sinister appearance ruled him out. <laughs> yeah, you would immediately go, well, he's on the wrong team for a start. Yeah, you know. You know he's, <laughs> you, I mean, he turns up, it's like, no, he started the fucking time. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he, he hasn't just been drawn in. Um, actually, and that's, that's something that I thought, that was, again, when I thought I was going to enjoy um, Look What's Happened to Rosemary's Baby, is right near the start. There is there is a bit where they speak, where the coven speak to Guy, and um, they're saying, "Look, you you're still in speaking terms with Rosemary. You need to get her to a certain location so we can get the baby, uh, get the child back." And he's like in the middle of an interview with like a film magazine, and he's beside his pool in Hollywood, and you know he's he's done all right out of it. Mm. And then he said, and but then what, when he's being like, look, look, I don't want to do that. I don't want to get involved or whatever like that. And then they just calm, uh, uh, Roman just calmly goes to him. Oh, um, so how are you finding California? What's the, the weather like there? Not affecting your eyes too badly. Mm. <laughs> and then as he's on the phone, he starts going blind. Mm. And I thought at, at that point, I thought I'm going to enjoy this film. No. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, like, as you were saying that, I was thinking, I'd quite like to see a bit more of this detail about how they work. Like mm. potentially that could be good. Yeah. Because they, because also when she phones up the guy who goes blind, mm. so yeah. I'll have to say the man, because otherwise it's get confused. <laughs> it's like my, my, my managing director is guy. And I do, so I do use the term guy a lot. 
even when I'm talking to him. So I'd be like, oh, well, the guy just was, he was on the phone. It's like, no, your guy. I have to say, yeah, that. That is, um, yes. but yeah, similar, similarly, the, um, yeah. Um, oh, fuck. I've lost my thread there. There we go. And he's back again. What um, happened to Rosemary's baby? Yeah. It, it turned but, out to um, be rubbish. Oh, no, it didn't hold a black candle to this fucking <laughs> film, I tell you. Um, but, the, yeah, when she phones up the actor who mm. went blind, um, it's um, Tony Curtis. Ah. Which, which apparently, like, Roman Polanski got Tony Curtis to do it because he wanted to get a sense of uncertainty from Mia Farrow. And obviously, Tony Curtis has got quite a recognisable voice. So she was on the phone, and, uh, but she didn't know. So that was done live. Oh, like wow. The phone call was done as you see it. That's interesting. But she was like, who is that? I fucking know the voice. <laughs> and it sort of does play out into the performance a bit because yeah. she is a bit sort of like unsure and everything. Mm. But yeah, it's, it's um, again, now, just a weird fucking... Am I being crazy that I was thinking it sounded a bit like Christopher Walken? Uh Probably like, not, 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 not completely, but I was like, huh? I, know, I, I, know I didn't recognise Tony Curtis, but some bits of it just had a, a little Yeah. Sound. No, I do. I do. And obviously from House on Haunted Hill, you've got uh, Elisha Cook Jr., who's the guy who's showing them around the apartment at the start, yeah. who obviously is part of the coven. So he's sort of Castle's old group. There's, there's, a couple of, uh, there's a couple of what I would describe as in-jokes. I don't know. Um, her... Her haircut is by Vidal Sassoon. Mm-hmm. So it's not just she mentions it, it was cut by Vidal Sassoon. Um, and was it like was an, in, an in haircut at the time then? Because obviously it's be- presented as very bad by. It became an in haircut because of uh, Rosemary's okay. baby. It was like the Rachel or whatever, like that. You know, it was just, a, it was just a, uh, it became like the Mia Farrow was like this, that sort of pixie mm. haircut became quite big on the back of this. Um, and actually, and here's an interesting little insight. Um, uh, apparently, a teenage Tim Roth was so in love with Mia Farrow, he went and had his hair cut like it and felt like a prick for <laughs> six months until it grew out. Um, I remember seeing an in an interview with him once. Um, but um, the other the other weird in joke in here is obviously is uh, when she meets Terry, the um, girl who the woman who the uh, the cast of Ets have taken in who was a former drug addict who ends up dying. Um, and she says to her, oh, you look like Victoria Vetri. That is Victoria Vetri. <laughs> um, but she's playing, uh, she's using, she's credited under her original stage name, which is Angela Dorian. But it is her. And that's, yeah, so that's just weird. Who is... Uh, in um, Invasion of the Bee Girls, which I'm sure former guest Wes said he wanted to come back and look at at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you've got Dr. Saperstein, who is uh, Randolph Duke from Trading Places, you know, one of the old boys who's the... Yeah. yeah. Um, but he's I didn't realise he's also in The Wolfman mm-hmm. and Ghost of Frankenstein and stuff. Um, and Hutch... Good old Hutch is Dr. Zayas from Planet of the Apes. Mm-hmm. Ah. And that pleases me so much because it makes <laughs> you realise it, well, it makes you realise quite how good the the makeup is, in so much as 
it still looks like him. <laughs> so, um, but he's um, he has a lot of experience with Coven's because he is uh, Samantha's father in Bewitched. Oh, cool! And um, he's also the puzzler in Batman, which was a villain, as I remember. It was like you couldn't get anyone to play the Riddler this week, could you? <laughs> so that's why I'm assuming the puzzler has been created. Um, and um, and yeah, and obviously Ruth Golden. Um, and uh, who was in like she's in Hound and Mold, and she's I can't remember, she's I think she's Clint Eastwood's mum in Every Which Way But Loose. <laughs> I seem to recall I she's been in, in a long time. Me neither. Um, she's in Scavenger Hunt, and she's also in something called Voyage of the Rock Aliens, in which she's playing the town sheriff. No idea what that's all about, but I'm quite um. And in some like female animal house ripoff called Muggsy's Girls, <laughs> um, and but I have to, and this is just purely uh, a fact that is going out entirely from her sister. Um, she is the main villain in Try and Catch Me, an episode of Columbo. And if you're very polite to my mum, she will do an impersonation of how she walks. <laughs> she has got like a funny little shuffle and. Um, yeah, so my mum, there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll get her to do it and put it up on the Instagram. Fucking <laughs> like she's going to do that. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's there's also there's also a um, there is a sequel book mm. which mm. Ira Levin wrote, but we are talking 1997, mm. and it was the last book he wrote. And um, let me see, I did, I, I, I haven't read it, but. Um, Rosemary emerges from a coven-induced coma in 1999 to find her grown son, Andy, has rebelled against his satanic destiny and become the head of a charitable organisation promoting world peace. But circumstances indicate his antichrist destiny is fulfilled regardless of his participation. And at a candlelit millennium celebration, a deadly virus is unleashed that destroys the human race. Satan returns to earth and drags Rosemary to hell, only for her to awaken and find that it's before the events of the first book and film. And it was all a dream. <laughs> so there well, you go, Chris, you thought, you thought you had a bad ending. Yeah. <laughs> I was just about to say, that sounds like everything, the exact opposite of everything I love about this film is, you know, the mm. subtlety of it. Has gone entirely out the window for that. Oh, definitely. I, but then, like I say, it was his last book he wrote before he died, and I think it's, I think it's fair to say that he might have lost his mojo yeah. by then. You know, so entirely at that age. I didn't realise there's also been in 2014 um, there was a mini series version of this with uh, Zoe Saldana as Rosemary. Yeah, I saw that when I was bringing it up on IMDb, so I had all the facts in front of me before we started recording. I spotted that, which I hadn't seen before. I might give it a go. And there's an unofficial sequel uh, segment in the anthology film XX called Her Only Living Son. Um, but uh, I've, I, must, I must confess I've not seen that. No, it's so, not me. Um, and where are we? I'm just seeing. I've was that everything. the anthology of films where it was all female directors? Yes. Yeah. And yeah, that's the one. And that was um, Karen uh, Kasama 
her section of it, her only living son. Um, she directed um, Jennifer's Body. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, it came out not long after VHS, and I hated VHS so much that I <laughs> had no more yeah. interest in uh, independent anthologies for a little while. I think the trouble is as well is, and I'll be frank, I like, I we love an anthology on this show. Maybe we mm. need to do an anthology again Ooh. soon. But um, I have to say, I do see a stark difference between the ones where it's you got five guys to five people to make five short films, yeah, versus you conceived this as an yeah. anthology film, yeah, definitely in a way, you know. But uh, but there we are. Um, also, and here is one of my again more famous facts that I just love: the tennis. Oh, excuse me, the tennis route mm. is entirely made up by Ira Levin in his nineteen sixty eight, but in his nineteen sixty six book Rosemary's Baby. <laughs> so whenever you've seen it used elsewhere, it's entirely because of Rosemary's no. Baby. It has mm. no genuine thing in real life whatsoever the picture that's in the book is man is uh mandragora but um oh. but yeah so but that does it describe it. the smell in the book it it doesn't because mm. i don't think it has that same smell so okay. but um so you've got so the book all of them witches by jr hanslett is in also an entirely fictional book obviously um in the film, when she's flicking through it and there's, like, text, um, that's from a book called A Handbook of Witches by Gillian Tyndall. Um, the other names seen in the chapter headings, you've got Thomas Colley and Prudence Devornoy, both of which sound absolutely perfect. Now, Thomas Colley was a real person. He was an 18th century English chimney sweep <laughs> who was convicted and hanged for the murder of Ruth Osborne, um, who, along with her husband, John, was accused of witchcraft. Collie was the leader of a mob who took the elderly couple from a workhouse in Tring and subjected them to a dunking in a nearby pond. Having been beaten and dragged repeatedly through the water, Collie turned and held Ruth face down in the water until she drowned. And But the picture that's next to him in the book is apparently a 17th century astrologer called William Lilly. Yeah. Uh, Prudence de Vornoy is a minor character in the Alexandre Dumas book Camille which obviously kind of connects to the Ninth Gate, which was originally called the Dumas Club in yeah. novel form. But I'm just finding fucking links now, you know, I'm lying. Um, but again, uh, don't know who the picture is, but again, it's so. Uh, and then all the famous ones that Hutch is reeling off are all fictional characters. They're not, they're, there were no real Trench sisters. Yeah. I just like the fact that it sounds right. The yeah, way yeah. they sort of, the way he just, you know, I, I look forward to being a dotty old man who just keeps telling people ghastly, fucking horrible stories about, <laughs> like, oh, you want to go down there, do you? Do you know that's where they found that uh, cat's head with no eyes? Yeah. <laughs> um, but in a weird little bit of um, reality, because that's the thing I love as well, is there's, they obviously mention real things and real events and, mm. You know, Vidas Soon is in mm. there and stuff like that. Um, one of Roman Castavet's name drops uh, that Guy mentions is Henry Irving. Mm. And Henry Irving was a real person, uh, the actor manager, whose business manager and public relations officer was Bram Stoker. 
And, and you know what? I knew when he said mm. the name, I was like, I know that name and I couldn't place it. But yes, that's yeah. exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he was, Irving was considered to be one of the influences for the character of Count Dracula. Um, and again, we spoke about them in some detail on episodes 120, where we covered Hammer's Dracula. But um, yeah, I just find... I just find this sort of like bumping, the bumping of it against the reality works for me. Mm. I don't think it did for you, Chris, but it really, it just works for me, I think. Yeah. 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 yeah like I said, I mean, I, I don't know if it is for some other external reasons that it's, it's harder for me to like it completely. Um, but Do you think it's that lack of ambiguity? I, you know, in, in it, the, at the end of the film, it's, Right, clear cut. They have been fucking with her, and they have created the end crisis. I suppose it, somehow it feels like an anticlimax in a way. It's like it had such a great build. Everything was so, you know, it was mysterious. Um, it was really well played. You completely following with her, and then it's like, yeah, you know, now she's just there with a knife and walking through, and it's just a bit like, mm. yeah, I don't know. I just wasn't quite feeling it. It just didn't have the same intensity by that point. Mm. It felt like it had just gone a bit funny, um, and so I just, I just think they could have still made it so it was really, which is, I, you know, like we said about the knife going on the floor. I do find mm. those, I enjoy those elements, but as the overall story, it felt like it just lacked some, some intensity by that point that I would have perhaps liked. Yeah. Whereas with, with some other films, the very ending is, you know, magnificent. <laughs> it's yeah. the culmination. But do you, do you think it's because in a weird way, Rosemary no longer has that tension there? Yeah. Like, it's, she's just there. It's so much as it's like, it's, I was yeah. fucking right. Yeah. Yeah. You shifty shits. <laughs> Especially <laughs> you, guy, you cunt. Well, yeah. Like that's it. It's just it didn't feel like it was that sort of film completely. Mm. Whereas then it was completely that. And so either it needed to carry on for longer, or, or yeah, or just somehow stop with a little bit of mystery still there. Yeah, but you know, it's it. I say like it is, it's fantastic. There's so much to like in it, um, but it doesn't quite hit the masterpiece uh, mm-hmm. achievement for me. No, it's fair, man. Fair. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, for our next episode, we haven't planned what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, I just realised as we were talking, I, I should probably get that up on the diary that we have so that I know what we're doing next. We have a massive list of films as previous yeah. questions. But, um, so what I'll do is I've got three films that I wrote down during our last episode that mm. were to go on the list that haven't yet gone on the list. So, Adam, would you like me to just throw those three at you? And yeah. pure gut instinct, pick one of those films. Okay, okay so we have Severance, the Danny Dyer um, comedy yep. horror. Uh, 30 Days of Night. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as you pointed out, why haven't we covered it? It is definitely always in my top 10. We have not co- covered Horror Hotel. Oh, also known as City of the Dead, I believe. Is the yes. title. 
it's a it's a toss up for me between um, thirty days and and horror hotel. I think. Okay. Just because obviously we did uh, triangle, which was the severance director mm. last uh, but time. It's, but it's also good. the same actress from Triangle as well. She yes, plays yeah. the, the main woman in it. So, oh, there you go. So it looks like we're going with Horror Hotel for our next film. Okay. Excellent. Let me yeah. just, while you talk amongst yourselves, double check for our US listeners uh, that I have I got. Think it, yes. I think it is, um, yeah, like you say, it's um, City of... It City of the Dead. City of the Dead from 1960. Mm. Uh, yes, I adore this film. Let, let you all know in advance. And it's one I, I think we recorded last time and we had a little 10, 15 minute chat after the end of the episode as we normally do. And then about mm. 10 minutes afterwards, I got a text message from Adam that just said, why the fucking hell haven't we covered this film? And I was like, I, I don't know. I love it. I absolutely adore it. I, there isn't a it year was, go by that I don't watch it. So it was much the same as how long it took us to get to Curse of Crimson Altar. Yeah. You know, it's just a it's just a weird one where it's like, yeah, why have we not done that? So <laughs> yes. Excellent. Right. So thanks ever so much for listening, everybody. Um, don't forget to go and check out the Not For Everyone podcast. Don't forget to go and check out uh, Eerie Essex. Yeah, I hope, mm, hope you enjoyed yeah. the episode, ladies. Yeah, thank you for the recommendation. Yeah, absolutely. It's Again, it's another one of those that I, I was desperately keen to talk about and comes up on a regular basis. Uh, yeah, and we just needed a little prod in that direction to get us there. So thank you ever so much. Otherwise, it would probably have sat on the list for another year. So, yeah, I'm very <laughs> glad we covered it. Um and we will be back in a fortnight's time with Horror Hotel or City of the Dead, depending on your geographical location. And we will see you then. Thanks very much. Good night. Good night. Good night. My stomach was rumbling that whole time. I hope it didn't come out on tape.